Do you want, do you want to do it? I don't yeah. Mind. You just need to tell me when to do it. I don't know. I, or whenever you're ready. Okay, cool. And welcome to Write for Your Life. There was some distortion on the giant hello. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I've got to tone it down a bit. Okay. Hello and welcome to Write for Your Life. I'm Donna Sorensen. And I'm Ian Broom. Oh, it just sounded so ridiculous. That really did. Sorry, everybody. For a change, we decided that I was going to try to do the introduction, but I just, yeah. I obviously wasn't ready for it. Maybe, maybe no one else will hear the uh, the distortion, but it sounded quite distorted to me when. <laughs> I Not mean, the you, first time. That wasn't how you were talking. You know, the, the the ten minutes previous. No. Where we were chatting, and then there was, you know, you, I, did, I think did you just get a bit excited? I was just going to say I just got a little bit overexcited and a little bit too close to the microphone with a great big hello like that, and then so in the second attempt I toned it down too far. Um. So anyway, I apologise. I'll tell you what, I'll try again next week and we'll see whether I can nail it just just at the right kind of level for everybody in terms of excitement. Anyway, I'm very excited to be here this week. How are you, Ian? Yeah, I'm all right. I'm, I'm absolutely fine, thank you. We've got um, um, a relatively action-packed episode of the Right for Life podcast right here. We've got several things to talk about. I don't know how much I know about any of them, really. But um, but but we'll we'll make our way through. We don't really have a main topic as such, I don't think. But the way the conversations have been going recently anyway, it's been a relatively, I think the word people use is organic. Um, so we'll just talk and see how it goes, shall we? Sounds like a plan. But in the, um, in the spirit of mixing things up a little and doing things different, we're going to do the listener's question first this week. Is that right? The, my, my, yes, I'm here. What my happened? exciting xylophone is in the other room. <laughs> Just give me two secs. Sorry. No problem. So Donna's going to get the xylophone. Um, I'm going to talk to you. Um, so one of the things that I was going to talk about later on, but I might as well do it now, is um, is Wattpad. Wattpad is, it's not new to me. It's, it's something I've been aware of for quite a while. Um, but I've never really got involved. It's always been relatively scary because it's a social network. That's Donna there. So it's a social network for readers and writers, but you back. I'm back, yeah. Can you hear me? I can hear you. I'm terribly sorry about that. I was just starting to talk about Wattpad. <laughs> what a great name. Have you never heard of Wattpad? <laughs> I've not made... This is not an invention to try and... F- I mean, I was trying to fill, but it's not an invention. There is such a thing as Wattpad. Well, it's like every all the eyes have gone, you know, all the iPads and the iPods, and now that's that's old. Now it's all what's a Wattpad. Have you noticed that? <laughs> that WhatsApp. So it's a, it's a Wattpad. Wattpad is, uh, I was just saying, it's a social network uh, for readers and writers. I, you clearly don't know a great deal about it. I was saying that I don't know a huge amount about it, but I am aware that it drives like loads and loads and loads of. Uh, traffic. It's got a huge amount of users, millions and millions of people who are reading through Wattpad every day. And um, I noticed that the Creative Pen podcast, which is by Joanna Penn, friend of the show, um, who who interviewed the head content person at Wattpad, 
and um, I listened to that podcast because I thought I need to know more about this. And it sounds, it sounds like one of those, a bit like I think Pinterest was when it first, in the first few months of Pinterest. I think Wattpad's been going for a couple of years, by the way, so it's not like it's brand new. But it's kind of people kind of go, oh yeah, it's that that thing, isn't it? But actually, it's got millions of users and it's really influential. So there were there are writers who are posting on Wattpad, and I think a lot of them exclusively on Wattpad, who are putting their own um, stories up there. So it's just the, the way that the the way it was described is um, as a storytelling platform as opposed to like somewhere like Amazon, where you actually go on, you sell a product, and people buy it. And as a, as a result, people um, um, post things almost sequentially, like serial fiction almost. And it's huge with the teens. And um, there are people getting book deals, having posted their stuff on Wattpad. There are people having films made out of their work, having just posted it to Wattpad. And it just seems to be this huge thing that's taking place. And as far as I can tell, the mainstream publishing industry isn't doing a huge amount about it, although... although Well, presumably they're the ones keeping an eye on it and offering the book deals. Well, that's true, and that's one of the things that... Um, um, the, that's one of the things the discussion centred around on the Creative Pen podcast was the fact that maybe publishers are starting to sort of realise these things, but it's the same thing. They're all, always a few steps behind, unfortunately. Um, although, admittedly, it's very difficult for them not to be. So it was really interesting, and I thought, well, what can I do? I'm an author. What can I do with uh, Wattpad? And, you know, it's full of unpublished authors. It's full of people just trying to um, kind of test their work out or just get their work out there. And it's the the range of writing seems to be fairly broad. I get the impression there's perhaps, if I put on my kind of professional kind of hat here, I, I, I suspect there's quite a lot of rubbish on there. But you can't argue with that amount of users and that amount of interaction. So people are primarily, I can't remember the exact stats, but I think it was between 70 and 90% of people use Wattpad, not on the website, but on their mobile phone. So they're Mm. literally sort of choosing what they want to read and then reading it on their mobile phone. And the vast majority of people on there are readers. And there is, obviously there's a community of writers, but they're serving this huge number of readers. So I was thinking, what could I do? I don't think that I am. Um, I don't think that I can, uh, you know, for copyright reasons and other other reasons. For example, put my entire novel on there, but I can probably put. I already give away like a free sample on my website, which is the first few chapters. So perhaps I could put that stuff on Wattpad and find a new audience. So it was just something I thought I would mention on here on the podcast in case anyone, any listeners out there, uh, had any thoughts on it uh, had any experience of using Wattpad um, uh, as a reader or a writer and any kind of um, stories about it that kind of thing it certainly seems like an interesting it's it's at the very least for someone like me um, where to be perfectly honest literary fiction doesn't strike it's not even one of the categories (laughs) so you look at genres and it's kind of thriller uh, erotica teen this teen that lots of you know everything you can think of paranormal vampires all sorts of things there isn't one for literary fiction which tells me perhaps it isn't quite my market but what harm can it do it being on there so i'm just sort of having a look i've got myself a profile i'm just trying to work out how best to approach it absolutely and also as a place to to experiment out of your normal genre should you feel the need 
Exactly. That's exactly right. And, you know, this thing that I've been talking about that I've that I've kind of been writing, this pilot that I'm doing, I'm going to be, there is a script to it. It's not like I'm going to just record it as a, as a kind of fictional podcast and then um, and do it, you know, off the top of my head. There's a script and maybe, and obviously it's going to be sequential. So maybe I can, I don't know, maybe Wattpad is something where I can post those types of things. And that the this particular thing that I'm writing is I don't know what genre you would call it but it's definitely it's supposed to be it's it's supposed to be humorous but it's also you know supposed to be like a like a joke horror type thing in a way it's a bit ridiculous really <laughs> um can I just ask you because <clears throat> I'd heard the name Wattpad but I didn't know what it was at all and now looking at it it looks pretty slick in terms of the stories up there seem to like they haven't got book covers per se but they have an image with a title that represents like a book cover. I mean, is this a Wattpad doing things to to the text that are put up there, or is it just people themselves creating their own documents for texts? Do you they're, know anything about it? They're not doing anything, but you put when you go to publish something, you have like a text field. So some people are literally writing straight into it, almost almost like a blog platform blogging platform mm. so you can literally go on or just write something and post it to your profile and call it a story call it what you want um so it's not like you create something and then upload it you know you can if you want just type straight into it or presumably what if i was for example posting chapters of my novel or if i decided to post a series of short stories i think i would literally just copy it out of whatever i'd written it in and then mm. paste it into the field and and publish and you can attach it, uh, video files and, and audio files it's a seems to me a weird hybrid of of a social platform uh i don't know um publishing platform blogging platform it seems to be a real mix of all sorts of different things but like i said earlier you can't argue with you know millions of users i don't have the numbers at hand i apologize but everyone should go and listen to that creative pen podcast um on it and i shall put that in the show notes but tell me donna where would i find those show notes you would find the show notes at 5x5.tv slash wfyl slash 118 you are very good at that now oh thank you um i just as a, a little sub note to what you just said there um there is a poetry equivalent obviously tiny in scale it sounds like uh, compared to is that what it's called tiny in scale <laughs> No, what tiny in scale is what it should be called. It's called Poetry Zoo. I remember looking at it and we were talking about there was a membership for it, but it's free, actually. You don't have to pay anything, but it's the same kind of principle. People are uploading poetry there to share online. And um, yeah, so I guess, look, I had seen that. So at least I'd seen one potential place to just be uploading and sharing. I'm afraid to say I didn't, I don't remember there being a, a uh, poetry category in on uh oh no there is i i take it back immediately there is a poetry category on wattpad it goes oh. adventure teen fiction poetry general fiction action werewolf <laughs> okay so i should uh, write a werewolf poem and put it in both categories i mean what the challenge the, if, if ever there was um anything to illustrate the changes in the publishing industry over the last few years this list goes poetry, general fiction, action, werewolf. <laughs> well, I, I thought that last year it was not werewolves, it was dragons. 
that it went vampires, werewolves, and then it was going to be dragons was the next big thing. Short story, chiclet, vampire. Does it actually say that? It says that. What do you think to the, uh, here's, this is what I mean by we can go off on a tangent. What do you think to the term chiclet? Oh God, have we not, have we not talked about this before? I like the fact that it sounds a lot like chocolate and I like the word chocolate. (laughs) That's the only thing I like about that word. Joanne Harris, uh, author of Chocolat, um, she's written about this a lot. Um, I'll try and find one of her posts and put that in the show notes. But just how offensive the the term chiclet is. And also, she says, uh, women's fiction, which I think we did talk about, didn't we? Yeah, we did. I remember us having a good old discussion um, about uh, women's only prizes and all that as well. Oh, but that was another life. I wanted to actually talk today about other changes to the publishing industry via um, an article in The Telegraph, if I may, Ian. Well, shall we do that now? Or shall we, now that you've actually got your xylophone? Oh, hang on a minute. You haven't even... Oh. Well, you, I mean, you say I haven't even. <laughs> you haven't even reminded me that I needed to play the jingle. I will talk about changes in the publishing industry after the listener's question. Beautiful. And the listener's question this week is... From Karen V on Twitter. Hi, Karen. Um, Had a lovely little interchange with Karen this week on Twitter. And she was asking if we could please um, confess to how many agent rejections we'd had in our careers and how many we queried. And I was... And actually what she said was, how many agent rejections, question mark, how many agents queried at 1x, question mark, T-Y, exclamation mark. Yes, and the second the second one is actually a really uh, good question. How many agents should you send your manuscript out to at any given time? And we didn't mention that in our publishing process trilogy a few weeks ago so that's a really good question which we'll talk about in a second but the interesting thing about agent rejections is that it's um or or rejections full stop so whoever they come from is that um you do hear of authors going well i got rejected twenty thousand times before i got my deal but you only tend to hear that really from really successful authors um who can look back and go kind of can sit in a, a a bath of published books and money or something and um, and then talk about it. So I, I, I don't know how common it is for people to share, certainly this publicly, um, how many rejections they got, but I, I personally don't mind. It's, it's nothing to be ashamed of. It happens to every author. Of course. It absolutely does. And I think I mentioned before that though I write poetry these days and pretty much that's... that's oh in my personal time, what I write, that I had written children's books previously. And that was when I sent some stuff out to agents. Um, so it's not something I've ever pursued since I, I sent out the first round of um, queries to agents back, I think that was 2008. So quite a while ago, actually. Um, maybe it's because I got rejected that I just moved on and it was actually the best thing that could have happened because I'm much more suited to writing poetry, I think, even though I do love writing children's stories. Maybe. I mean, it's certainly... I've, I felt fairly well prepared for the rejections because I think having done the one of the things that the MA writing course that I did, uh, one of the things that did for me was prepare me for this, for, you know, rejections, because um, part of the course was... 
about learning the, pub- the publishing industry. <laughs> I got, sorry, as soon as you said part of the course, then I imagined like a room where you had to go in, <clears throat> be shouted at by someone, or told, told that you're an idiot and made to feel really bad so that you're ready for agent rejections. That would be a great part of the course. It w- maybe we should suggest. Maybe we should start our own course and put that on the syllabus. <laughs> yeah, Abuse. you're worthless. Yeah. Um, I should also say then that I think that that's potentially a big difference between someone like you who has uh, done um, a creative writing master's and someone like me who didn't because I was not at all prepared for it and it was a massive shock and not only that but um, but I I look back and I think how could I have sent those things out without being better prepared and that's something that I learned the hard way you know by actually showing my work to other people, getting it critiqued, workshopping it, editing much, much more, all these kind of things. I, I wasn't doing that back at the start. So um, so I kind of think, well, it's interesting I sent stuff out to agents, but I should have waited. Somebody should have told me to wait. Well, that's another, maybe that's another interesting way of looking at it. How do you know when you're ready to send out a manuscript? How do you know when the time is right? I think I've said before that I felt like I couldn't, do any more with my book I'd got to a point where I'd finished it and I was happy with it but deep down I knew that it wasn't quite right and I was just hoping that someone would take me on and uh, either help me either work on it with me or find me a publisher an editor who would help knock it into shape go that final go that final 10 meters of 100 or something and um, and get me over the line but and that's kind of what happened but in terms of how many rejections I had before that I'm not entirely sure I can't quite remember exactly but I think I I probably had three rejections I had someone who just didn't get back to me at all I think they particularly enjoyed it and um, <laughs> and then I think that I think it was five five or six where Tibor Jones um, got back to me and said that they really liked it and would I be prepared to go meet them and talk about how we could work on the book and all that kind of thing and I said yes please and um and my my agent um Sophie Lambert who is no longer at uh, Tibor Jones she's actually at Conville and Walsh now but and as as am I with her but um that was yeah such a great a great experience but in terms of rejections it wasn't that many um again I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast but I did have a slightly unusual rejection and that was because the entire novel from well from about 10,000 words on I had an agent waiting for it so someone came into my course and they listened to me read the first couple of chapters and then they got in touch and said we want to see the whole thing when it's finished so actually I wrote a lot of my book just knowing that I'd got an agent ready and waiting to read it at the end and I just I know I I think at the time I was pretending that this wasn't the case, but I know deep down I probably thought, well, you know, this is a done deal, they're going to take it on. And they didn't. And not only that, they took quite a while to actually tell me. Mm. So that was a really unusual experience and not particularly fun one. But it all worked out for the best in the end. So five or six rejections for me, but lots of people have many more and it's not a bad thing. I certainly had a lot more rejections in terms of finding a publisher, Part of the problem there was that I was trying to sell it right slap bang in the middle of the rece- recession when it was at its worst, and we had publishers literally saying, "This is we like this, but there is no money whatsoever to buy this book." 
um, we are sorry and um, that was fairly soul destroying so one of the things that I actually found difficult because these re- when it comes to rejections I think it's what you do with them same with any, same with any kind of feedback it's what you do is how you react and one of the problems I had was that mostly mostly the rejections I had were quite positive about the book they just sort of said it wasn't quite right or like I say there was sometimes it was a money problem or it just there was always a there was always something but it was very very non-specific and very little that I could take away and act on so hopefully um hopefully when you get your rejections you can find something that you can do with you can find something that you can take away and turn into a positive yes quite I didn't have anything I could take away as positive but I just to quickly say what how why I thought I was ready because I'd been writing lots and lots of stories for children and then when I actually had a good handful that I felt were ready that I'd completed as as picture books that then that's when I submitted but I, I, in terms of my writing experience, I had no like broader experience or anything. So I sent, I think I sent uh, a few of those picture book texts to four or five agents um, simultaneously. And do you know the mad thing? Like, I mean, back then, I didn't even make a note of who I'd sent them to. So like now looking back all these years later, you know, and I've, I'm very organised with my poetry about where it is, who it's been to, which poems have, have been looked at by different magazines and publishers. I mean, I can't even tell you which, which agents I sent it to. I mean, that's, that's how unready I was <laughs> for all of it. But I guess then it's also quite good, you know, in the future, I, I would have no worries about approaching again if I was to go back into that to that genre but um but yeah so two very different experiences with agents it seems yeah and just to finish off i i sent them out in batches of three so i sent three manuscripts off at a time sorry well i sent one manuscript to three different agents um and then i think i sent another three so actually it was probably it was probably six i probably had six um five rejections and one acceptance um because I think I only sent them out in two batches. I don't know if there are any hard and fast rules with that. I think you just have to use your judgment. Um, um, but, you know, try and make sure that you send them to people that you want to be your agent or that you think you want to be your agency. Yeah, absolutely. And I was trying to think, do you remember a while ago, Ian, I said that poets, I don't think they tend to have agents. It's not that kind of process. And I was thinking, oh, I better just double check that's the case. And then I thought, hang on a minute. I actually had been in direct contact with Seamus Heaney on quite a few occasions, not going through an agent for anything. I don't even think he had an agent. So if Seamus Heaney didn't have an agent, I think it's pretty safe to say they just don't have them. Indeed. Yes. Did we answer that question? Mm, Hope so. Let us know, Karen. If anyone else has got a question, just get in touch. You can email ian at writeforyourlife.net that's ian i-a-i-n or you can ask us a question via twitter at ian broom or oh or there's a new place they can get in touch with us oh well, and also my twitter account, i was gonna i was actually at, yeah 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 i know i know at the flying poet are you gonna let me say anything today at all ian I'm, about that i would like to say i'm i i I apologise. I'm just. I, I just never know quite when you're going to run off. So I just. I'm tense. <laughs> Don't be tense. I was merely going to tell everybody about our amazing Right for Your Life Facebook page. Our what? Our Right for Your Life Facebook page. Was that also 
too excited in terms of noise. The distortion was less, but you know that's fine. <laughs> a little distortion is okay. It's it's looking great. I love the fact that um, Ian, you started this up um, many moons ago, back when you were a one man band, um, and it's facebook.com slash right for your life. Not um, unsurprisingly. And uh, and if you look back through the feed, basically, you spent a lot of time writing posts to say, hello, don't bother coming here. Go over to my Facebook page. So uh, <laughs> come back, so come back, everybody. It's going to be fantastic to um, to actually be getting some really engaging content up there about writing and publishing. So we're going to use it. Um, it's a bit of an experiment. We'll see how it goes. But we're going to use the Facebook page for supplementing the podcast now i know that i have a blog and we have twitter and we have things like that but i think facebook is fairly um ubiquitous if that's the right phrase in this situation um and it's kind of good for discussion without us having to like write a long blog post or or to kind of have any kind of publishing schedule we can just post links when they come by we can post stuff that we talked about on on the show and you're all welcome to post stuff on there yourself. So if you've got anything that you find interesting, just stick it up there. Listeners' questions. If you've got a listener's question, just post it to our Facebook. Exactly. And that was that was why I thought that would be a good time just to mention the Jazzy New Facebook page because people can ask us things there. Indeed. Yeah, fantastic. So um, what should we talk about next? We've still got quite a few items to get through. Do you want to talk about the change in publishing, changes in the publishing industry that you mentioned before? Oh, yes. Well, um, yes, I would like to specifically reference an article in The Telegraph, um, which I thought was quite an interesting talking point. It's, there's, not, there's not so much to it. It's Val McDermott, who is a, a very, very famous um, novelist, a best-selling crime writer, loads and loads of books out, although I'd never heard of Dr. Tony Hill, who was turned into a TV drama character in Wire in the Blood. Have you ever seen Wire in the Blood? I haven't. I'm sorry. This is not, it's not really my, I mean, I know Valma Derma, but it's not my, I haven't read anything by her. Crime isn't no, my sort of. It's not of, your bag. Not especially. No. But what Val was talking about this week in the uh, Telegraph, we will put the link in the show notes, was um, that she would be a failed novelist if she started out today. And she says novelist, well, no, actually she didn't say that. It says the novelist who sold 10 million copies so she wouldn't have a career if she started now because the industry demands authors get instant results and accolades. Um, so it's very interesting. I think what she is talking about is the fact that she had time back in the day to make mistakes publicly with her writing, which people are not allowed to do in this day and age. They just Things change too quickly. Everything has to be perfect. You're so scrutinised that what you send out has to be a bestseller immediately or you're just going to be dropped and that she had I think three books or something like that before she actually started to sell millions of copies um, and that she doesn't think that writers today would be able to do that because they're just not going to get the chance but what I thought was interesting was that if I can just quote her she said um, actually no this was Johnny Geller who's the literary agent and joint CEO of Curtis Brown he agrees with McDermott, maybe, possibly, says she might have a point. Um, but he was talking about Tracy Chevalier, who you... Have you ever read anything by Tracy Chevalier? No. Ah. I happen to have read The Girl with the Pearl Earring. 
Any and, good? Uh, well, yeah. I remember bits of it. I wouldn't say it, it, it lit my world up, but, you know, it's fine. I, I, I guess I enjoyed it. But I think the problem is, is that I keep thinking of Colin Firth whenever I... When I've, I just have that association with the film. I think the film was just probably what spurred me to read the book, and that's why. And then it's a bit difficult, really, to get it out of your head. Anyway, he says that um, her first novel, Tracy Shelley, didn't do much business, and her second was The Girl with the Pearl Earring, and it sold five million copies. And perhaps these days it would have been difficult to get the second novel published. But what I thought was, hang on a minute, surely what would happen today is that it would have been difficult for her to get her first novel published, but then the second novel would have been published and sold five million copies. Surely that's what would happen. Like it doesn't seem like that that much of a, a, a leap to, to think that that's actually what would happen. And it's, you know, still great books or books that people love are going to get seen. It's, I think, that, well, I think the most interesting quote in this article was was by Johnny Geller, who's the... CEO of Curtis Brown. It's the bit where he says, it's never quite as bleak as that, but publishing is a lottery. What they're doing is putting big bets on some unknowns and it's all or nothing. There's a whole mid-range of novels that don't have a hook or spectacular angle that would have that would have been published five years ago, but fewer publishers want to take the risk. Mm. And, um, yeah... Well, I mean, it's I, it's always difficult because as as an author, and and I I'm sure every writer listening to this, I, I imagine and I hope is thinking the same thing. Where do I fit in all this? What 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 am I? I mean, I my mine did get published, but it wasn't easy, and it's you know it's not a bestseller, and it's not made a fortune for anyone. Um, I think it confirms that nothing is a given, and that's that's what you that's what you realise when you're in this. You think once I've had a book published, that's that's fine. It's going to be something entirely different. The reality is, is that, you know, nothing is a given, as I just said. <laughs> <laughs> nothing is a goddamn given. Um, but I can see that the difference is, is that it's difficult to, to make a career out of being a not very successful novelist. That's basically what this article is saying, I think. Whereas yeah. in the past, you might have scraped by without being a bestseller and still not had to have a, a second job. That's that's what it seems that she's saying to me. I don't. I'm not worried that you know, it, if somebody has a crap book and then their second book is absolutely amazing, that people think that that's not going to happen today. Because I just feel like, well, you know, the crap books just won't get published, and the second book would be the first book. So I'm not. I'm not as as worried about it as well. But then, but but I think that's. Be, I think it's. Um, I think that's because we have a great deal of realism, not least because we spend a lot of our time talking about these kinds of things and being online and sort of witnessing the rise of not just witnessing but being interested and to a degree active although not as active as actually self-publishing a book but you know we can see what's happening we are of a generation we are of the disposition uh to look online and to 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 live online and to see why things have changed and to kind of understand why things have changed and i I, I don't know Val McDermott and I don't know how much she is part of that or whether I'm being extremely unfair to, unfair to her but I think you're exactly right I think I think the point of this piece or, or what she's saying um, is this idea of a career that it's very very difficult now for authors to write a book and then have a career because 
um, because they don't get the time to build one. And I think the phrase time in this is actually a little bit misleading. Again, perhaps this is perhaps this perhaps this is quite again quite easy for someone to say who's done very well out of writing books. But actually, when they say time, they mean money. That's what they mean. Because I I would have all the time in the world to write lots and lots of books. But because I don't get money, I don't have the time because I have to go to work and have a full-time job and always have done throughout my 20s and throughout the writing of my book and since it's been published. Nothing's changed. I still have a full-time job. I just have children as well now. And it's the idea of writing as, you know, writing fiction as a career, I think is what she's lamenting, that it's very difficult for authors, maybe authors just like me, maybe authors like you, maybe authors like everyone listening, it's difficult to have a career. Maybe we're not so bothered, maybe you look at it in the way that you've just said you do, that you don't think that she's, you know, worry about it in the way that she does. It's because we're just, we're realistic. We know that that's the case. She's got her career, so she can now look back from the comfort of having a career and say, gosh, I don't think I would be able to have one if I was starting out now. Well, not we- just the comfort of a career. I'm wondering, and I I probably have to sit and work this out properly, and I'm wondering whether she's saying it from the comfort of having actually quite a lot of money from books. I mean, if you've sold 10 million copies of books and you've sold rights to TV dramas, presumably you have a pretty lovely income. Wouldn't you say so? Well, I would say, well, I would say definitely, but I, I think that's, that's the point. My, my reaction to something like this isn't, isn't, isn't just... My reaction is like yours. It is kind of like, well... I'm not so concerned as you because I know that's what it's like. But I also kind of think, I kind of think, oh, you wouldn't have a career, you wouldn't have a career if you started out today. Um, I kind of think, yeah, no, probably not, Val. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> you'd probably uh, you'd probably have a full time job like me. Yeah. Buy my book on Amazon. It's ninety nine pence this week. <laughs> That'd be great. I wonder if anyone's ever asked like really really successful authors that have been authors for decades what they would otherwise be doing right now if they weren't. Yeah, but but that's not to be churlish and to be kind of, you know, envious or anything like that. But I do think there is that the modern author, we have to be realistic. And if we approach an agent, as we've just been discussing, you need to approach them with a sense of realism and a, a sense of just understanding the industry and the way it's changed. And, and you have to know what to expect. You have to know that um, you might end up, um, you might get a book deal, but you might not get much money to market it from a publisher you might not get um you know the cover you want whatever it might be it's like just know what to expect um and i think that modern authors do so perhaps it's very difficult for her to imagine being in a situation like the one that we're in and lots of people listening are in um but that's because she was she was publishing for the first time in a different era in a different age in a different time and uh, that's no fault of hers, of course, or anyone else's. But um, absolutely not. I, I'm quite fascinated, though. Like I've never ever written something with in the back of my mind, and I'm sure that this is something which publishers think about. In fact, I know they do think about all the time when they see a book about the potential for it to be um, turned into a screenplay in the future. The reason I'm mentioning it after talking about Val there is that. Um, I saw Wolf of Wall Street recently. Have you seen Wolf of Wall Street? No. No. Fantastic film. Obviously, you know he got into a lot of financial trouble. Leonardo DiCaprio? 
yeah, lovely Leo, um, Jordan Belfort, who was the main character. So Wolf of Wall Street is based on his memoir that he wrote about his life on um, on Wall Street. And what was fascinating was, I don't know whether it's a spoiler really, but, you know, he, just just the rights, when he sold the rights to the film, for Scorsese to make that film, he made a million dollars. Yeah. And when, when you see that and you think, okay, you know, we, we say that we're realistic about, you know, the life of a writer in this day and age and how difficult it is and stuff like that. You know, people are making $1 million when they sell the, the movie rights to their books. Oh, yeah. I mean, lot, there are authors that are getting big advances still. It's not like the industry is completely different. Some of the principles and the way it works are still very much in place. But, um, but there's, there's, big, there's big advances and then there's being turned into a millionaire with, the, with one signature when you've written a book about something. Yeah, and in that situation, it's, it's, it's just absolutely ludicrous based on the life that he had and all the money he he uh, he threw down the toilet. Yeah, indeed. But it's um yeah, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting discussion, but uh, again, I think it's really important to just to be to to know what to expect and just go, you know, that's why I think it's important not to uh, to to focus on the money and the 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 kind of career and the business side of wanting to be a writer, you really first and foremost have to just you know really want to have your book published, and, and you know. And just to link the the first two things we've talked about today, when she says that if if you had a book that hadn't done very well, that it she thinks in this day and age it would be very difficult to get a second book published because you know people want big results right away. But do you not think that if I mean if you have an agent and they're and you've written another book that they're just like wow boom and they're behind you that it's not going to matter at all because it's all about the book that's in front of them still today i really think it is um yeah i think it's unless you absolutely you're absolutely sure as a publisher that you're going to make your money back and this is going to be something just absolutely fantastic not that there ever is really any guarantee of that but unless you're in that situation and you're offering lots of money i think you're always i think the publishers are now also much more realistic and have different expectations mm. so so if an author hasn't sold a huge amount of books then you would hope that they would look at the situation and go well why is that what sort of publicity did they get what sort of reviews did they get you you know a book might not sell very well but it might have fantastic reviews mm-hmm. and so they must you would hope that they would sort of look at the whole picture i don't believe for a second it's all about it's all about sales in a world where sales are so difficult to quantify um and um um and and sort of i don't know predict and whatever whatever the right phrasing is there Mm, yeah it's all right we're all gonna be all right everybody's fine it's gonna be fine just keep writing totally fine just keep writing yeah um right i i've got something i want to ask you we're racing through here we've Mm. we've it turns out that it was actually ended up more like a topic Great. P- permission to ask you a question. Permission granted. It, actually, it's not. It's not a question. Um, but let me introduce it first. Okay. So I've. Um, if you follow me on Twitter, you might have noticed that um, I, I've occasionally referred to what I've been doing um, in my day job, which is a freelance copywriter. I am officially a business owner, and um, I've been working with uh, a client called uh, Cornerstones Education. Don't mind saying who it is. Why would I not? <laughs> and um, 
and they're great. They write curricular materials, so you know, founded by ex uh, ex teachers uh, and and current teachers who um, and they've written uh, a curriculum and schools by that curriculum, and it's the materials are fantastic. And it's um, I found it really interesting. So I've been editing materials and writing bits and pieces. And um, I found I found the whole process really interesting, and I'm not a qualified teacher, and it's been a while since I was at school, so I found the whole th- thing sort of really interesting. And some of the questions and the way that things are phrased to try and kind of uh, tap into children's imagination and uh, to teach them, I guess, really interesting. And there's this one sentence, so it's not a question; it's actually um, an instruction, I suppose, and. It really resonated with me, and I thought it'd be an interesting thing to talk about here on the podcast. And um, and I thought I'm not going to tell Donna what I'm going to say to her. I'm just going to ask you to respond, and to respond in the context. Well, you can respond how you want, but respond in the you know the the writing publishing context because you know I can't guarantee that's going to happen, but let's try. Maybe not. So this is the question, and I, I don't even remember what what. Um, well, it, it, this appears a number of times, so it could be related to a history topic, a science topic, or an, you know, an English topic, whatever it might be. But this is the statement. This is kind of kids are given a scenario or told something, and then they are then they, they are given this instruction: explain why things are the way they are. Hmm. And you said that it could be in they could be sitting down in a history lesson or in a science lesson, for example. And they could get this question in any lesson. Yeah, so they could be looking at, for example, they could be studying um, uh, the Second World War, um, or they could be studying, um, um, gosh, let's think of another example. <laughs> Don't mention the war. Let's <laughs> let's stick with the Second World War. So they may have studied the Second World the universe. War. Universe. Yeah, yeah, it could be something sort of, um, I don't know, the theory of evolution or the theory of relativity. I don't know. But then at the end, they go, explain why things are the way they are. It could be religion. It could be, they could have been looking at, um, I don't know, the history of Christianity or something like that. And then looking at Monday Christianity, explain why things are the way they are. You see, we're so conditioned. And also, as you said, you know, I mean, when you've got when you've been around the block a little bit, there's so many questions you have about that question that that almost, that that stifles your imagination. Because I'm sitting here thinking, how much time have I got to answer this? And who am I writing it for? <laughs> and all these different things, you know, uh, rather than just saying, right, okay, you've asked me to explain why things are the way they are with writing. Well, okay, well, think of it, think of it in this way. What might be the benefits of, of trying to, give an explanation for why things are the way they are in any situation what might be the benefits to you of doing that because that's you know this is being asked to children in schools why why phrase it in that way what is it that what is it drawing out of them by asking them to do that rather than just saying you know who won the war yeah well i mean obviously it's it's giving a chance for because if you're asked a question and there's one specific answer that you want i mean there's so many there's so many other answers that could be perfect in a, in many situations. So here, I just think it's obviously just giving everybody a chance to to come with something interesting. Don't you think it's like when I de- I've never marked uh, an exam paper or a school essay or anything like that, really. But I presume that there are like tick boxes for if if they've said this or if they've mentioned this thing. 
And with a question like this, you just, you don't have any of that. The, the things that are being looked at are just just thought processes and reasoning and, uh, you know, recall of, of important information and stuff like that. Yeah, and I think that's what I really love about the phrasing of it. I think that's why I really like it, because there is, you can ask, you can say that to you, and this is the reason I wanted to kind of, even though I'm still struggling to get you to answer this question, or to make a... Make but a I, it's because I, I totally know, and I remember, you know, back, because I used to teach little kids as well. Of course. Uh, um, I, that it's, it's really interesting how I don't think a question like that is for everybody, and I can see that potentially it's not for someone like me, someone who actually liked it to have things that they needed to remember to try to squeeze in and a bit more structure and framework to things. That kind of question, I'm not necessarily, you're not going to get the best out of me from it because I'm just going to be sitting there talking about like what I'm doing right now. Absolute nonsense. Well, let me tell you how I reacted to it then. Because I was thinking about it a little and I was thinking about it in terms of writing and it links back to some of the things we've talked about in previous episodes because we've talked about finding balances finding an equilibrium with your writing and um and and one of the things i like about this having to explain why things are the way they are it's quite matter of fact it asks you to be quite matter of fact about things and i think if you're trying to write something um your emotions are all over the place sometimes you have an amazing writing day sometimes you don't get anything done and you hate what you've written and it's a it's a practice of extremes i think a lot of the time and mm. and very rarely do we actually sit down and think about as writers why things are the way they are you just look at what they are so fantastic or terrible and you react to it you'd never really sit down as a writer and think okay why are things the way they are why are you talking about in your life as a writer or in the thing that you're writing um, in just writing in general, in in my life as a writer, I think this has definitely been the case a number of times where I've not sat down and been objective about my writing, and I've just got annoyed because I've not been able to do what I wanted, or I've been elated because I thought something was amazing, and finding that balance, I think, if I was to actually try and be more objective and just sort of try and explain that, or try and understand that whatever situation I might be in as a writer has come is as a result of it's it's a as a consequence of of something a process or or of uh, any number of things if you actually look at that and understand it then you can kind of get this focus and again maybe this comes back to what we were talking about i think last week about word counts and how difficult it is to like write every day again i think it's because of the extremes i talked about last week about the calendar and how i saw that some days i was writing i thought it was fantastic i didn't write for a couple of days and i thought why am i trying to do it that way it's ridiculous if i'd actually sat down at the end of every day and either put a tick on the calendar or not and thought well why are things the way they are well actually today the reason that i've not been able to write is because uh the kids were ill or because we had um, uh, it was Christmas Day, and who writes on Christmas Day? So if you actually have that level of obje- objectivity and in the back of your head think, okay, why are things the way they are, and 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 have that data, have that kind of, I guess, unquantifiable data, um, kind of emotional data, then you can kind of be a bit more objective and maybe a bit more professional, a bit more businesslike, a bit more productive with your writing, perhaps. And maybe you maybe you think, well. Maybe it's not my fault. Maybe I shouldn't feel guilty about it. It's just the way it is. That's just the way things are. And I understand why they are the way they are because I've asked myself to explain it. 
What do you think? Nonsense? <laughs> no. No, I think if that works for you, I, I think if I sat down and, and thought too much about why things are the way they are at the moment, then I would realise that um, that I'm, I'm avoiding. Like, there is nothing that's that's hindering me writing as much as I want to at the moment. I'm just avoiding it. But isn't so that... I'm not going to... Isn't that realize so? You, so isn't that a good? Isn't that realization a positive thing though? To to, to kind of to to have explained that to yourself. I'm not saying you have to do this on a podcast, but oh. if, you know. yeah, no. I mean, it might it might lighten the the uh, the guilt load, as you said. But I guess you know, if, if I'm just finding that at the moment, if I have half an hour, I would actually like to sit down and watch girls on TV uh, on on well online instead of sitting down for half an hour to write. Then that's fine. Because it's not going to be like that forever. Because I love writing, so I will be writing at some point. But just right now, I'm, I'm not. But I think that's. I think you just explain why things are the way they are, and I think that's a really. I think the the act of doing that says I'm trying to counsel you. I'm not trying to counsel. No, don't worry, because I knew it. <laughs> I knew that. But I don't think we all do that. So that's good that you do do that. But I think that we can often not do it. I think that yeah. writers can often find themselves just really irritated by. Uh, the extremes of the process and very rarely do we sit down and just see just sort of look at the situation and go well I did this I, I watched girls tonight instead of doing my writing and you just feel guilty about it you just go well I feel terrible I shouldn't have done that instead of objectively <laughs> objectively looking at it and go well the reason I did that is because I really like watching girls and my partner was in and they've not been in for the last two nights because for whatever reason so we sat down and we watched an episode of girls and that's why things the way they are i will use that data to do 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 differently another time or to plan another time where i might write and just to i don't know quantify that emotional data i think that's a phrase that i'm going to use at least once more to not not if not today then next week and uh and if you are procrastinating or having trouble prioritising writing, then I actually would highly recommend that you watch Girls. Because after I watched that episode last night, then I actually did go and do some writing. And it's, I think, obviously I think the title is meant to to muster the emotions it does, but it's funny when you say Girls, it just, it has so many connotations and it does not tell you what that programme is about <laughs> at all. <laughs> but have you ever watched it? Never watched it. As you know, we're working our way through Breaking Bad. That's fantastic. I mean, it's about a young writer in New York and it's written by a young writer who has done everything herself. She acts in it, she's produced it, she's written it, directed it, whatever. It's it's absolutely amazing. And uh, her character in it is um, a struggling writer at the start of her career. So I highly recommend you go watch it. She got a day job in the last episode and um, and was telling her colleagues in the office that actually she wasn't planning on being there for very long because she was a she was actually a proper writer even though it was people that were employed to write in the company um i said the same thing when i was 23 yeah exactly well yeah she's 25 and then they all tell her about the writing they do in their own uh, own time and when they've been published in the new yorker and uh, all that kind of stuff and she ends up just crying and, and going and telling her boss um that she doesn't think that she wants to be there in the future and the boss says fine loads of people would like your job and she goes, oh, actually, no, it's fine, I'll stay. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's exactly what we've all been through when we've got day jobs that we feel restrict our writing. Indeed. So there. Great. Why are things the way they are? Who knows? <laughs> we'll all ask ourselves that tonight before we go to bed. 
Indeed. And process the day. <laughs> so, I think we're done. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, that's good to know. <clears throat> uh, we'll say it again, even though we've already done it, but if you want to get in touch with uh, a listener's question or if you want to say nice things... Oh, I know what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. I was going to read those iTunes reviews, wasn't I? And, and show off. And I've well, we got... might as well end on a high. Why don't you read, read a nice review from iTunes? Okay. No one will hear this, though. It's right at the end. No one listens till the end. Don't be ridiculous. I mean, if you're listening now, I mean... Oh, I mean, well done, you. <laughs> Great motivation for writers. So this was a lovely... So this is just to remind everyone that you can uh, you can get in touch with, with us in all the ways we just said. But what would be particularly fantastic if, is if you were to go to the iTunes store and leave a review, because that does wonders <laughs> for our... Um, well, not only for our sort of self-esteem, but also um, for the podcast in the ratings. It will mean that we reach more people, because... Um, I don't know how it works, but that apparently is true. Anyway, we had a lovely comment, and I just wanted to—I re- just wanted to uh, uh, read it out. Um, it says, uh, "When I listen to Write for Your Life, I feel like I'm with friends. Ian and Donna offer such great guidance and advice, while all, while also entertaining listeners with anecdotes on their own writing careers. No matter what genre you tend to wear with, this podcast is worth your time. I couldn't start my day any other way. Oh, and follow them on Twitter; they will answer any questions you have. I mean, isn't that just the loveliest thing? It's thoroughly nice." It's make- very nice. And it's not your mum or my mum anonymously that's written it, I don't think. So I'm delighted. No, it's my it's my wife, actually. <laughs> no, she hasn't got not. time to sit down and write a review like that, I'm telling you. No, but thank um, you thank you very much. That's to, lovely. To, yeah, thank you to Tweedledee for uh, for leaving that review and to all the other reviews that are on there. There are four four on the US store. There are a couple on some other stores as well. But it does help. So feel free to um, let us know what you think. I mean, don't put any bad reviews on there, for goodness sake. I mean... Wh- that would be outrageous. <laughs> Basically, just sort of f- four stars is okay. Five stars is obviously definitely okay. Three stars, just, you know, don't bother really. Just stop listening. Totally. Not worth it. Well, that's a nice way to end. Thank you for sharing. Thank you, Lee. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, I'm going to go off and get a lovely cup of tea. Okay, I'm going to edit our podcast. <laughs> cool. See you next week. Bye-bye.